acid is simply that it holds the water vapor there, that it doesn't evaporate. I and other colleagues have thought about more uh, advanced ideas like nano diamonds, which might be better. They might have uh, less effect, for example, in heating the stratosphere or destroying the ozone. But all these things uh, work simply by reflecting away some sunlight. And the underlying reason why it's doable and appears to be doable cheap is that the amount of material needed is very small, and that's because the mirror is effectively very thin. So to give you a sense of it, the mirror that would make the average size of the mirror would be less than a micron, maybe half a micron, so kind of 50 times thinner than a, actually a thick piece of mylar film, much smaller than a human hair. This would be done by uh, lofting sulfur or other compounds into the stratosphere, and that actually can be done easily. It turns out it can be done with commercial aircraft technologies or commercial off-the-shelf technology. If you wanted to cut the rate of global warming in half, 50 years from now, it would take you, at the beginning, none, and then you gradually build up to something like 50 aircraft in 50 years, uh, flying from one or two bases. So whether it's a good idea or a bad idea, there are very real risks and, and serious challenges of how you would control these technologies. It's clear that you can do it pretty easily. So that's solar geoengineering, using planes or balloons to distribute a very thin layer of a compound like sulfuric acid, or maybe nanodiamonds, up into the stratosphere. By increasing the Earth's ability to reflect sunlight, we could slow the rate of global warming. The second strategy Dr. Keith discussed is carbon geoengineering, which again basically means finding a way to decrease the amount of carbon dioxide that's already in the atmosphere. And Dr. Keith says carbon geoengineering is a lot harder. Carbon geoengineering is very different and fundamentally harder because it requires us to deal with much more material. So we are now putting into the atmosphere some 36 billion tons of CO2 a year. That's sort of hard to visualize, but it's five tons per person. It's larger than any other flow of mass humanity manages. I, as a, as a wealthy person who flies a lot, of course, am responsible for much more than, than the average 5,000 tons per person, and a poor person living on a day is responsible for much less, but the average is something like five tons per person. So there's no way you're gonna magically scrub that out of the air cheaply. Uh, in fact, a small company I helped to start is actually developing technology. We're building a pilot plant in uh, uh, north, of British, north of Vancouver, British Columbia, that will be the first large-scale facility to do direct capture of CO2 from the atmosphere for, the, for these purposes. But we don't think we're geoengineering the planet. We think we're just making low-carbon fuels. There's no way that you can avoid the fact that you need to cut emissions. Only after you've cut emissions can you think seriously about how you might remove CO2 from the atmosphere. So let's think a little bit about how the trajectory of the next, say, uh, 200 years would look. So we can run fancy computer models, including computer models that make wild guesses about how uh, uh, societies might evolve. But the honest truth is that if you look back at projections of 100 years ago, those models are pretty lousy. So I like sketches that have the right numbers but are just sketches. So if we had this huge success of a clean, green, global revolution that drives carbon emissions to zero in my lifetime, which is, it'd be a fantastic outcome I hope we achieve, and we can achieve if we want to. If we do that, what we do to the amount of carbon in the atmosphere is basically stop it getting worse. It's very different from other pollutants. CO2 lasts in the atmosphere for a very long time. So unlike, say, sulfur air pollution that kills several million people a year today, if we stop that, it goes away in a few days. But carbon lasts a long time. So all we do by cutting emissions is essentially stop making the problem get worse. And that's where these other technologies can do something different and complementary. 
So if, for example, you did solar geoengineering, you do not, as some people say, have to do it forever. If you gradually started it and then gradually stopped it, the net effect is to do absolutely nothing beneficial to the climate in 2200, but you reduce the rate of change. And that's a big deal because lots of climate impacts depend on the rate of climate change. In order to understand this, imagine a curve and a straight line on a graph. Both of them eventually end up in the same place, but the curve rises sharply upwards before flattening, while the line just goes straight there. In the case of climate change, that sharply rising curve is more dangerous, basically because the dramatic increase means more sudden changes to sensitive environments, which could trigger other impacts. So solar engineering, according to Dr. Keith, could shift the curve back to the straight line. But you can do more than that if you combine the two kinds of geoengineering. So, for example, if you first do emissions reductions by some combination of solar power, nuclear power, conservation, what have you, to stop this enormous flux of carbon into the atmosphere, and then you do some slow...